Jesus this morning, he talks to us about the road home, and he gives this fantastic parable. It's one of his, his, one of his most beloved, one that we seem to know maybe better than any of them. It's about a father who has these two sons. And you know the story, the younger son, he's ready to um, go away, but not for a good reason, not for to go to college. In fact, he wants his share of the inheritance so that he can go and live a sinful life. He is within his rights to ask for those things, believe it or not, but basically what it is saying in a disrespectful way, I really would rather you be dead. He wasn't getting, you know, the money in order to go finally get his own place, you know, somewhere in town or close by. He's wanting to go to a faraway country. He wants to get as far away from his family as he possibly can. And it's there that he, he liquidates his inheritance. He leaves and he wasted all that his father had worked for and worked to obtain for selfish, shallow fulfillment. His financial disaster was followed by a natural disaster. There's a famine. The boy's got to get a job, and the only job he can find in this, cult, in this, uh, in this environment is feeding pigs for a Gentile. And if you know anything about the Jews and the culture of the day, you realize how desperate this boy must have been and if, if it wasn't bad enough, he actually longed to eat the food of the pigs because he didn't make enough to have, to have the better food. These unclean animals, they had it better than he did. And it's, it's at this point that he begins to long for the road home. The text says that he came to himself in verse 16. In other words, he began to think rationally. He began to realize really his, a true understanding of himself. He began to realize just how far that he had fallen. He knows that he's no longer worthy to be a son. But he thinks, you know, if I can just if I can just go and be a servant in my father's house, I will be content to do that the rest of my life. I, I don't expect to be put back in that position. And we read this and we realize it is something that we all struggle with from time to time. And, and maybe you say, well, I've never left my family and done anything such as that. But, but what he's showing here is this foolish desire that we have to be independent from our heavenly father. And what we realize is that living in sin never satisfies, it never brings us what we think it's going to bring, it never delivers what it promises. It's fun for a while, but eventually it runs out. And in those times in our lives, or the lives of people that we know and that we love, we need to understand and know about this road. And this road home, first of all, it is... The road of grace. Now, I want you to see what happens when he comes home. This is great. If you're there in chapter 15, verse 20, he says, And he arose and came to his father. Notice how many times father is used here. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, he said to his servants, bring quickly his, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? And, and what we see is what this whole parable is about. It's about the father. In fact, look at the very, the way this whole thing begins, the parable in verse 11. Notice how he begins. Jesus is telling us who this is about. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. But when it comes down to this parable, we often call it the parable of the what? Prodigal son. It's fascinating, folks. There are three parables in chapter 15. And we always focus on the negative rather than the positive of the story. And look, my Bible, the headings say the very same thing. It says, you know, the parable of the lost sheep, not the found sheep. The parable of the lost coin, not the found coin. The parable of the prodigal son rather than the parable of the loving father. And what's interesting is that all three of these parables end in celebration. So they're, they're, it's, it's just this wonderful, wonderful account about our God. I like what one commentator said about all of this. He says, while it is true that the dark velvet background helps bring out the beauty of the diamond cast against it, one almost gets the impression that some preachers enjoy the dark background more than the diamond. Yeah, we can be guilty of that. What is this parable about? It's about a father. It's about his love. It's about his grace, his forgiveness. It's, it's, a, it's about love and joy. But we do need to talk about the prodigal, don't we? I mean, this boy is a little bit different than, than the other two parables in that they were lost, not because of something they were responsible for, but the prodigal, he was completely responsible for his decisions that he made. If anyone deserved what they got, it was this boy. He was selfish, he was ungrateful, he was a wasteful son. And he knew it. Don't you think that he rehearsed his speech several times over and over? And we're even given this speech in verses 18 and 19. He says, look, I'm going to go to my father, and this is what I'm going to say to him. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And that's when the, this parable reaches its, its climatic conclusion. Because Jesus portrays the father as waiting as perhaps looking down that road every day, hoping to see the silhouette of his son walking down the driveway. And when the father sees him, his reaction, did you see it? He runs. Men didn't run back in the day. It was kind of a taboo thing. He runs. He embraces him. He kisses him, which is symbolic of reconciliation and forgiveness. And I don't know if you notice this or not, but he, the father doesn't even let him finish his rehearsed speech. Whoops, wrong way. 
When you get to verse 21, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that last part that he said he was rehearsing, he doesn't even say it. Well, did he forget it? Did he decide, well, you know, maybe I really don't want to be a servant? No, the father interrupts him. He can't even finish it. And he calls to the hired servants, and he says, bring the best robe. Bring him some new sandals. He says, bring that boy a ring, symbolic of sonship. You're not going to be a servant. You are, you're back in the family. He says, you are my son. Is that not fantastic? Is that not an amazing God that we serve our Heavenly Father? After everything that this boy has done. In fact, it gets even better because we see he throws a party. Don't you love a good party? There's parties for sinners right here. He continues on in verse 23. And what does he say? And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. In other words, we're going to have a big barbecue. And this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Three times in this parable, the word celebrate is used. Twice right here. And then he uses it at the very end in verse 32 as well. Because we see this is something that's, that's important. Now, had this boy been dealt with according to the law of a disobedient son, then there would have been a funeral rather than a party. But Jesus is telling us something about this father. Now, there was one who kind of wished it would have been more of a funeral-type setting, don't we? It's the older brother. I don't even have to read it to you to tell you, because you know how he's feeling, more than likely. Because it's a human nature thing. He's out in the field working for his father. No one even came out and told him there's a party. He doesn't know that until he's walking in and he's hearing the music and the dancing. They'd never thrown a party in his honor. He's the obedient son. The father explained, he comes out and talks to the son. He says, look, all the blessings and rewards for your faithfulness and your loyalty, these are not in any way diminished because I'm throwing a party for your brother. But we struggle with that, don't we? Because if we, if we admit it, we say grace. Wow, it is an amazing thing. We even talk about, sing about amazing grace. But really, grace, sometimes it offends our our sense of fairness, doesn't it? Somehow throwing a party for a remorseful sinner seems like maybe we're, you know, kind of condoning the sin in some way. And, and it's interesting, if you read the text, it's the music and the dancing that really offended the brother. That's, what, that's when he says, I'm angry. Okay, if he wants to come home, that's fine, uh, but we should not be giving him stakes and new clothes, and things of that sort. He needs to at least pay for some of this stuff that's going on. I mean, has somehow the party canceled the seriousness of the boy's sin? I mean, should, we, should we give a shower for, for an unwed mother? 
I mean, it's great they repent and everything and, and that sort of thing. And I think it'd be great, you know, if, if some of the ladies in the church gave them some stuff. But, you know, for the church to throw them a shower, I mean, it, isn't that like condoning? And, I mean, it's an honorable thing. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, you throw them a party. Or what about someone who's got a man who has a serious gambling problem? And, and he wastes everything. He's built up all kinds of debt that he can't pay off. He's embarrassed his family. He's embarrassed his church. I mean, it's great that he repents and it's good that he's getting counseling and everything. But maybe, maybe we should not let him, you know, serve on the Lord's Supper or, or do a public prayer. Or, you know, something that we would give to the older brother to do. Jesus says, look, you give him the ring of sonship. When he repents, you give him these places of honor to serve. The parable really leaves us struggling in this tension. It's meant to, because, because how we can be sometimes, we can be a lot like the older brother. God's love is amazing, but sometimes it's difficult to be offended by grace when we still are questioning the character of another person. I want to go back to the fatted calf for just a second. Because our text picks up off of the parable of the great feast from the chapter before, in chapter 14. And in it, he's showing that there's going to be these unexpected people who are being invited to the great banquet of the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 15 here, he reveals how the Father feels about those who have been lost and they have now been found. And we especially see it with this, this prodigal that here, who's in being invited to the table? Who's a banquet being thrown for? It is someone who's totally unworthy. Totally unworthy. In fact, notice how the chapter begins. If you look at verses 1 and 2, he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, now these are representative of the younger son, by the way, if you don't know how this is all playing out, because this is what starts the whole thing. He, there's these tax collectors and sinners, they're drawing near to him, and the older brother, or actually what it says is the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. It's not a matter of that these folks are coming out and, and listening to Jesus. It says he's receiving them. And what this really had to do with table fellowship, he says he's eating with them. And, and the table fellowship in, in that culture, in that day and time, it's a lot more serious than when we sit down with someone and we eat with them because it meant I accept you. It was a, a mark, identifying mark. In fact, there is a, a Near Eastern proverb that says, I saw them eating and I knew who they were. And even though that's very deep into that culture and subculture over in that area of the country, we can say, well, we can see how we do this too. Jesus was constantly being criticized for the kind of people that he sat at the table with, these tax collectors, these sinners. Let's just say it, the unworthy And Jesus would try to explain to them and saying, you know, this is, this is why I've been called. And, and, he, and he leaves us, the listeners, to ask ourselves, who do we think we are? 
Do you see yourself as the person who's well or sick? Do you see yourself as being the saint or the sinner? Do you see yourself as the one who's sitting around the table with Jesus? Or are you the one who's criticizing? And we're supposed to struggle in that. And it doesn't mean that Jesus accepts anyone for, for the way they're living their lives. No, 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 no. Listen, repentance is all a part of this. You, you see the sun, right? You see what, what he, the turmoil he came through. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But what I want to show you is that this, this idea of communion and table fellowship was such an important part of the early church. We have just partaken in, in one of those aspects of the communion table. It not only is about our, our joining together with God, but with each other. It's a way of saying, we love you, we accept you. It brings us into the domain of Christ's death. It remembers our liberation from the slavery of sin. And that's reason to celebrate. I love the way this parable ends when he's telling the older brother. He says, it was fitting. You hear that? It's fitting to have this celebration and be glad. Because your brother, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And here we are, those of us who, who have partaken in this, this communion together, what we've said is we are those very people at one time who were lost, but we have been found in Jesus. It's fitting we celebrate. It's not a funeral that we partake in when we break the bread and we drink of the cup. It is a time of remembrance, the fact that we have been freed from our slavery of sin. And that really leads us to talking about this road home. Because some of you may be the prodigal this morning. You're the person who is mentally, spiritually, you have traveled to a distant, distant land. You have found yourself far, far away from the Father. And you may say, well, I'm here this morning. But you know that you are, you are so far away from the Father right now. Sin comes in a lot of different ways. We think of the big ones, right? Or what we culturally call the big ones. You know, sex outside of marriage, adultery, homosexuality, gluttony, drunkenness, murder, stealing. But sin is also lying. It's greed. It's jealousy and hatred. It's quick-tempered and lustful, and prideful, and on and on we could go. And maybe there's, there's one or two, or maybe more of these, that absolutely have, they, it has you wrapped. I'm not talking about, you know, I struggle with this from time to time. I'm talking about, it has you wrapped. You're just like this, this prodigal, and you are, you are in a faraway country, and you're living that life. And some of you, you feel that restlessness, you feel the frustration in your life because you're living that kind of life. And if that person is you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly that feeling that I'm talking about. And maybe you even feel like, you know what, there's no way God will forgive me. You just don't understand. These are the biggies, you know. These are the ones that all the churches talk about. Oh man, this is the biggie. And what does Jesus do? He says... Jesus says, let me tell you about our Father. 
And he even gives us the GPS coordinates to get on the road back home. And it begins with this realization that you're destitute. You're in a destitute condition because of your sin. If you don't get this one, you won't get to the rest of it. I promise you that. If you come before the Father and you think, you know what, I, yeah, I've done some things that maybe I shouldn't do. I know I'm outside of your will on some things, but, but, but really I'm a pretty good person. Let me tell you something, you're not ready for this. You're not, you're not on the road home. You're on your own road. You're still trying to, try, trying to figure it out yourself. You're still trying to, to feel like that you are all good, all in and of yourself. Because it's not until we get this realization that we are destitute of our sin that we get to the next point, and that is about being humble. And some of you may, you may read about this prodigal and you're like, well, I'm not so sure I'd call him humble. I think he was more hungry than he was really missing the presence of the Father. But he says, I'm willing to give up my sonship. I'm willing to be a servant. You see, humility is not what you say. It's not saying these things that make people feel like you're humble. It's what you're willing to do. Which leads to repentance. Coming to your senses. Begin to think rationally. To confess your sins. To turn. It's not a matter of, well, you know what, I've got this in my life that, that I'm doing, and I know, it's, I know it's terrible and everything. God, just forgive me, I, you know, and then you just go continue to live that life. And, and again, I'm not saying there are going to be things that you struggle with throughout your life and, and your spiritual life, and th but I'm talking about it's got you fully enveloped. And you're not willing, ready to give it up yet. You're not ready for repentance, and you're not on the road home. And it's only until we get to that point can we fall at the Father's feet. Because that's the place we want to go. At the end of Rembrandt's life, the great painter, he painted this masterpiece. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And what's interesting about this piece is that he, he paints it in a time when he had personal loss, a lot of criticism. He had all kind of financial struggles. It captures that moment where the prodigal son, he comes home to the father, and the father, he runs out to meet him, and the, and the boy just, just falls at his feet. And, and you see these tender hands of the father placing on the shoulder of the son. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've embarrassed the family, no matter that, that you squandered away all these years of hard work that, that I've done, he says, you're my son. And we look into the face of this father, and we are looking into the face of God. And I don't mean that in that's what God physically looks like, because God is spirit. What I'm saying is he's showing us that our Heavenly Father, He's tender, and He's loving, and He's full of grace. Henry Nguyen, some of you may have heard of him before, he's written 39 books on the spiritual life. There was a time in his life, and, and he came across this particular portrait um, by Rembrandt. 
at a time when he was really struggling with physical exhaustion, with just emotional restlessness, uh, just this feeling of emptiness. He just, he just felt like there's got to be more with life. And he spent hours, hours studying Rembrandt's painting. And what he discovered in Rembrandt's painting, he says, was home. He ended up writing a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's based on this painting. And in it, as he talks about it, he says, The tender embrace of father and son expressed everything I desired at that moment. I was indeed the son exhausted from long travels. I wanted to be embraced. I was looking for a home where I could feel safe. That image spoke to his personal yearning, offering a deeper understanding of the love of his heavenly Father. If you look closer at Rembrandt's painting, what I want you to see are his feet. This is Rembrandt's depiction of this boy's shoes. You look at it and you study it and you just see you see a kid who's destitute, but you see someone who is feeling unworthy. These are the feet of someone who's unloved and alone. His friends didn't help him because when his money ran out, so did they. And it's in those sandals that he runs down the road home to the Father. And when he got there, what did the father say? Bring him some new sandals. You see, the main message of this parable is that it doesn't matter how far we stray from our heavenly father or how much we squander the gifts that he provides. He is always elated when we come home. His unconditional love is waiting. He's searching. He's hoping to see your silhouette coming down that road. No begging is necessary. No lectures are given. Every lost child, that's every sinner, that's all of us who come home, who return to the Father. He says it's cause for celebration. So what Jesus says to us today is, if you're that person, come home. If you're the one who's, who's not his child, he says, I'll adopt you. He says, come home. If you're a person who's struggling and you've got all these things going on in your life and you just feel like God isn't there for you, or you just feel like that I've lost all contact with God, I just have no desire for Him, the Father just continually says, come home. Come home. 